97% of salespeople are missing this one thing that if they only knew it would allow them to close 75% more sales. It has nothing to do with charisma, the gift of gab, or whatever else you've been told. Because if you're trying to convince your customer, that means they don't want to buy, which means you've already lost the sale. What sales professionals do is sell customers exactly what they want to buy. They work with the customer to uncover their current challenges, the consequences of those challenges, and how that's impacting them. They then help the prospect describe the ideal solution to their problems, what that looks like, and how that perfect outcome will impact them. And once they can picture that perfect outcome, price is irrelevant. That's right. Sales professionals sell customers exactly what they want to buy because it's easier dealing with a happy customer than dealing with a customer who felt sold. So here's the deal. I explain everything in my live two-day sales workshop, June 14th and 15th in my office. Go to closemoresales.com workshop and you'll be able to close more sales as soon as you get back. His sales training is unbelievable, right? There is other sales training in theory. Going through this stuff with how he breaks down his business is, this is like invaluable because um, there's no other way to get this type of like, this type of access with someone who's such an open book about every little thing that is completely applicable to my business. Anyone who wants to bring their business to the next level, anyone who wants to close 30, 40, 50% more of the deals, uh, I mean, there's no one who wouldn't benefit from being better at sales. Uh, I mean, anyone in real estate, anyone, I mean, anyone that has a, any entrepreneur that has a business, um, not all the information may be presented to you, but time management, um, knowing how to work with people, having sales skills, because I think we're all in sales and marketing, and it could pertain to anybody, honestly. I would have to say it's asking questions. That's the biggest thing. You don't want to give an answer right away. And if you're able to, uh, answer their question with another question. And also that along the process, it's gonna be very uncomfortable talking to the sellers, asking the questions that you need to and digging for pain, but that's gonna come with experience, so. Um, if you're struggling, I think this is David that you need to come to to make sure that you take your business to the next level. All right, so we got a whole bunch of questions to go through, but I'm going to start with uh, this one here. It was a newer one, but I think I don't want to forget this at all. Can I ask? Can I ask a question for, to myself and then answer it just quick? I, it's the most important <laughs> question of the night. Sure. And then we got we got. I'll go to that one. Why would a seller sell to you on creative finance? Okay, why? I've got a YouTube video coming out um, that names the nine reasons why this big multifamily deal that I'm buying in Texas. Mm. The seller gave me zero down. 4% interest, 50 years to pay him off. Why would a seller do that? Why would a seller do that? It's probably the most common question is like, why would a seller let you take over payments? Why would a seller give you seller finance? Reason number one is they get more money. It always comes down to the money. They mm. always get more money. Number two, especially in seller finance, this seller on this multifamily deal that I'm buying, um, the seller says, Pace, I'm retiring. If I sell this multifamily deal right now, I have to 1031 exchange into another asset. I don't want to buy another asset. I'm done. I want to retire. I'm leaving everything to my children. So the smart thing for me to do is just to charge you an interest rate and let all those payments go to my children even after I pass. So 
tax incentive. Mm-hmm. The sellers don't have to do a 1031. They can they can get massive tax incentive by selling a property to you on, on creative finance. The sellers will make so much more money selling to you on seller finance, which is why when you jump into the multifamily space, a lot of sellers are willing to sell to you on seller finance. They're more savvy, right? Yep. Um, number three, I'll give you a third one, and then we can jump into There's six other ones. We'll leave it to the YouTube video when you guys decide to go watch that. But the third reason is because there's no agents involved typically. There's no appraisals. There's no inspections. There's none of that kind of stuff. And I can close on a transaction without inspectors, without a credit check, without anybody else getting paid in the transaction. I can just work directly with a seller, pay a title company, be done with the deal, and and own it. So in every aspect, a seller makes way more money in every aspect of creative finance than they would with cash. Right. All right. So the question I want to make sure I don't forget to ask right here, uh, Rick Dot is... What's the best way to learn all about these different methods of creative finance if you're a beginner mm-hmm. to real estate investing? My YouTube channel. Where I'm the number one YouTube channel on YouTube for creative finance. Number one. Most subscribers, most videos, most in-depth stuff, me talking to sellers. The second place I would go is go to my free Facebook group. I have 5,000 students that are helping out 50,000 non-sub, non-sub-2 students in my creative finance with Pace Morby Facebook group. I've got people making hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars in that Facebook group just doing deals with each other. Yep. Uh, and then Candace Anu wants to know, who mentored you? My dad, my mom, um, uh, probably about 10 creative finance people, Mitch Steven, um, Ron Legrand, not as a mentor, but we've become friends over the years and we'll mm-hmm. trade notes and all that kind of stuff. Um, Eric Sage, I, Eric Sage and I will voice memo each other all the time like, hey, we're, I'm about to do hypothecation on this 10 button, blah, 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 blah. Like stuff that mostly would melt people's brains of like what we're doing. Uh, you know, I have people that I collaborate with in the creative finance world. Yep. Um, all right. So on Facebook. Eileen Brown. Shout out Eileen Brown. Honestly, Eileen Brown has probably been one of the most helpful people. Mm-hmm. I understand paperwork on creative finance better than anybody on the planet. And it was because of Eileen Brown. And actually, shout out to you. I was having an issue with a with one of my attorneys on the paperwork. I was using a, an attorney in Texas for about two years. And then you introduced me to Sean St. Clair. Mm-hmm. Sean St. Clair writes all the contracts for all of our sub two seller finance, innovation agreements, all that stuff. He's he's amazing. Yep. There you go. Uh, so on Facebook, Diego wants to know, I got a VA loan, zero down to a quadplex. I want to milk this guy for as many times as I can. What have you seen people do with VA loans? In terms of acquisition or going and buying more properties, the challenge with you as if you have the, if you have VA, um, you have the ability to go get a VA loan, right? You're a veteran. The veteran association will give you a certain allotment of how much money they'll give you. So mm-hmm. let's say that some veterans they'll give $500,000 to. So you can go buy two properties at 250 with zero down on a VA loan. You can actually have two VA loans. Right. But if you go and get some house at half a million dollars, you're going to eat up all your VA credits. For on one property. So if you're talking about acquiring and going and getting a VA loan, that's as much as you can milk that cow for. However, I buy a lot of VA loans. One of my best deals I've ever done was a VA loan where the seller's like, I got a job opportunity in Colorado. I live in Vegas. I have no equity in this deal because I put zero down on it when I bought it. And if I sell it, I'll have to cut a check for 30 grand. I go, let me just take over your payments. One of my best producing Airbnbs right off the strip in Vegas. Uh, So... Uh, VB Homes of Texas, how do you write up a JV agreement for a collaboration? 
Um, I have a JV agreement that I give to all my students. Um, I, these are the great things about having a mentor that's actually in the business that when I do something or I create a document in my business, I give it away to my students. So I would suggest in the side chat, find my students, collaborate with them and, and have my students help you out. Uh, a I JV agreement written by an attorney is probably going to cost you a thousand to fifteen hundred bucks. And then finding an attorney that even understands what the hell that even means is going to take you a month. Yeah. So save yourself the time and the energy. Take the money that I've already put into the thing and leverage my community. Um, Isaiah Navarez wants to know uh, if he has if he has no experience wholesaling and doing creative, how does he prove to a seller that he's credible? Collaborate with somebody that knows what the hell they're doing. I this is one thing that I do for my students. So. I call sellers for my students. Now my students are so good. They call students, for, they call sellers for each other, mm-hmm. right? You saw Munif and Daniel Quijano in the Closers Olympics are mm-hmm. not, are my people, not the shit. Mm-hmm. They're the no, shit. No, they're great. They're good. So, I mean, Daniel's all right. Daniel's phenomenal. I know he's watching. He, yeah, he, he probably <laughs> is. So, um, and Daniel and I are doing a deal right now. I'm mm-hmm. closing on a deal with him tomorrow, with him tomorrow. So I created leaders so that we could change the face of this industry. People that learn how I close sellers by watching me close their sellers right. are now turning around and saying, Hey, anybody that's out there in the open world, a non-student, I don't give a shit if you join sub two or not. Mm-hmm. Oh, dude, we're, we run deep. Yeah. We run deep. We're everywhere. There's not a city that we're not strong in. And so if you are out there, then find a sub two student, collaborate with and go, how can I leverage your credibility that you have? Because what I give my students is I give my, my proof of funds from my actual bank account. Mm-hmm. If a seller or an agent says, well, I want to talk to the person who owns this bank account. I personally get on the phone with that agent or that seller and say, yep, I'm JVing or I'm funding the deal or what, whatever it is. I give them all of my credentials, my real estate owned schedule that shows all the real estate I own. And I go, here's all public data showing that our group is credible. Go leverage my students. My students will give that to you. So you, you can skip the line. That's a, that's a thing that I used to have too is like, why would somebody listen to me? Yeah. Well, then go collaborate with somebody that has the credibility and go do a deal with each other. Cody Barton, my partner, the first deal he ever did, he collaborated with a guy named Frank. That Frank and Cody's like, why would anybody listen to me? And Frank, who's still one of our cash buyers here locally, told Cody, he goes, don't ever let that be an excuse of yours. Leverage and borrow my credibility. And if you mm-hmm. run into a situation you can't overcome, call me and I'll talk to the seller. Um, and then Pace and I have had private conversations about this. I tell him he's the, he's my favorite cult leader. Oh yeah. 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 You know, the root word, you know, the root word of culture is cult, right? We have the strongest culture in all of real estate and you can call it for whatever it is, but I can tell you that our success rate is incredibly high. We have a powerful community of people making a lot of money together. And that if it's a cult, it's a cult. Yeah. Let me sign up. <laughs> you already did. Um, how do you take over liens like a city tax is over sub two? That was a question from Moni on YouTube. So this is an interesting thing. Uh, people don't understand how simple it is for you to actually buy a property from somebody. You guys know that there was a point in history that title companies and escrow officers did not exist, right? Like you guys know that that's actually like the greatest. You own a title company. I own a title company. Mm-hmm. Shout out to you again. You p- paved the way for me to go own title companies. And now Jamil and I are going and growing. We have a brand called Complete Title and Escrow. We'll have 200 branches in the United States in the next probably five to seven years. So it's the greatest scam of all time, bro. Like, I'm going to charge you my escrow officer's fee, Mm -hmm. but then I'm also going to charge you insurance to make sure that my employee did their job properly. Correct. It's the greatest business ever. So that was created by some guy. I don't know who it was created by, but it was created. Before that ever existed, the way you traded... Real estate is the same way you trade real estate today. You just don't see it. 
All I have to do is I have to have a one piece of document mm -hmm. called a deed. Steve signs his name as the seller. I sign my same name as the buyer. And we go and record that at the county recorder's office for $17. And I'm the new owner of his property, regardless of what he owes, who he owes it to, and how much he owes. It doesn't right. matter. I can literally take over any property right now. Whoever asked that question, what's their name? Uh, Moni. Moni, I could fly to your house right now, meet you on your doorstep, have a deed signed by you with a notary. A notary would have to be there with us. And I would then take that piece of paper, one single piece of paper, walk down to a county recorder's office, pay $17, and I'm, I'm now the owner of that property. I don't need a title company. I don't need an escrow officer. I don't need a closing attorney to buy any real estate in the country, any state. Is it $17 now? It's probably more than that. I remember Infla when I, Inflation, guys. When I was doing it back in my day, right? It was like 6 bucks. It was like $8. $8. Um, it's been a while since I had to drive down into recorder's office. All right. So, uh, AO on YouTube, uh, from your experience, what is the most common motivated seller scenario where they're willing to accept zero down with monthly payments? Um, so zero down with monthly payments would be a seller that has no equity subject to, mm -hmm. or a seller on seller finance that you pay full retail. So they go, they go, okay, great. I got full retail. Perfect. I'll give you pay. I'll give you zero down and, and just monthly payments. Uh, on YouTube, Darius, when do you know when you should keep a deal safe for cash flow or when should you sell it? Is the exit always determined before you ever make the deal? The exit is always determined by the buyer. And so this is something I wish I knew too, is that a lot of people, especially in my community, they don't, they got to remember something really important. Real estate is a lifelong pursuit. Okay, let's look at like a Grant Cardone. I bring him up because he's well-known. Whether mm -hmm. you like him or you hate him, I love him. I think he's the, one of the greatest marketers of all time. He has $6 billion, $6 billion in multifamily real estate under management right now. How long did it take for him to get there? 30 years. He did single family homes for multiple years, over 10 years, and that builds momentum. So you got to remember, real estate is a lifelong pursuit. Stop worrying about needing to be retired next year, right? Yeah. Stop that. So what happens is a lot of times the buyer, whoever runs into the deal, they're so thirsty for cash flow and financial freedom, which cash flow provides financial freedom, that they will put themselves in a situation to take on an Airbnb or a rental that they're not equipped to take on. And they're trying to rush it. They're trying to rush it. So in that situation, if you don't have money in the bank and you don't know how to manage a tenant, then take that deal and wholesale that shit to me. I'll pay you an assignment fee. Put money in the bank. Keep doing repetition, repetition. By the fifth time or so, sixth time, you see how the paperwork works. You see how this whole process works. You go, all right, now what I advise my, my students is the next phase is for every five deals you wholesale, buy one deal and put it in your portfolio. And you'll get to a point after a year, maybe two years, where now it's like, I'm going to do five deals. I'm keeping four. I wholesale one. And that's the phase I'm in right now. Yep. Uh, so Ingrid wants to know. Love Ingrid. Um Doing a deal with her right now. That's awesome. Ingrid Ingrid is on fire. She did, she did a Morby method. She's done sub two deals. She She's doing great. And she came from the real estate agent world. She's amazing. I think you know Ingrid. I do. I do. She's a, a recent uh, signee uh, under us at, at Real. So really appreciate that, Ingrid. Love it. Uh, so do you think Subtail is, safe, is a safer bet for investors in Novation? Yeah, I actually literally did a live about this mm -hmm. about an hour before I drove over here. I had a student named Melissa Smith. She got her first subject to deal. And she says, I don't know what, what route to go. So should I turn this into an Airbnb? And I go, well, Melissa, 
if you turn this into an Airbnb, then the capital that it required, the entry fee that it required to get into that deal, you're going to have to go raise that money long-term mm-hmm. and you're kind of newer. So you're going to have a, a hard time establishing that relationship with a private money lender that would be willing to keep that money in the deal long enough. Or you got to partner with somebody and split it 50, 50. If I were you, I would actually buy it subject to take it retail. This is why I call it subtail. That was a thing that I created years ago. Subtail. Buy it subject to take it retail because there's $40,000 in net profit on the deal that now the next deal you run into, you've got $40,000 to put into and you don't need a partner and you don't need private capital. So the safer way to go in any regard when you compare novations to subtail, 1,000% of the time, it is safer to go subtail because you actually own the property with a subtail and in a novation agreement, you have... So we do a lot of novations. I have two novations going on right now. I have more subtails going on than I have novations because a novation, the advantage to a novation is I don't have to buy it up front. I don't have right. to ever take title to it. So I don't have title fees and the scam of the title insurance and all that, all that kind of stuff. Always get your title insurance. Make sure you pay, pay me and my company and Steve and his company title insurance. It's great. So I don't have to pay for any of those things up front. Mm-hmm. And a novation is really enticing because if you have a, a really skinny deal... A novation agreement can save you anywhere between ten to maybe twenty thousand dollars on a fix and flip that justifies you out beating somebody else that's your competition, or your seller's just not willing to go down to that number. A novation agreement can can get that done. However, you don't hold deed on a novation. You right. do not own that property. Your agreement and how you do your paperwork on a novation is what keeps you you safe. Whereas on a subtail deal, what keeps me safe is that I'm the owner and there's nothing you can do about it. Right. So if the seller changes their mind mid-process, I don't have to sue them, which I've had to do on novation agreements. A subtail, I have a seller that's like, hey, this subtail is taking a little bit longer than we thought. I go, yeah, well, it's hard to get a labor. Well, it's going to take 30 more days. They go, well, I'd like to just maybe, um, can I get a little bit more money because it's taking more time? I'm like, you've already been paid. Why are you even calling me? Yeah. But in a, nova- in a subtail, it's your property. They can't do anything about it. In a novation, if a seller decides and they see how good of a job you did on the renovation and how much you're listing it for, what do you do when a seller says, I'm not going to sign anything until you um, pay me an extra $25,000? Yeah, your recourse is very little. Right. In, 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 that, in that regard. Uh, Susan Fleming, have you ever dealt with medical liens? In, I'm guessing, I'm presuming here, in the question of the context of sub two. Yeah, my um, in sub two, yes. I've negotiated liens from $110,000 down to $1,500. Mm-hmm. One of the, the first deal I ever did with Cody Barton, um, we bought a deal for $110,000 on Wolf Street. Desiree was my seller. She's now my private money lender, has been my private money lender for nearly four years. We bought that property and we go open escrow and we find out she has a $110,000 baby mama lien or a child support lien from the previous owner because she bought it on a quick claim deed. Got it. And so I had to go negotiate that, get it down to 1500 bucks. So I have, um, here's the liens that I currently own subject to. I have two IRS liens. I have two air conditioning liens. So people that bought an air conditioning unit in Arizona, we get, we have like, it costs 12 grand to get a really nice air conditioning unit here, like a train and people get them on payments, right? So the pay, the people who own the house went and got a train unit, the, um, installer charged them 12 grand and gave them credit. So they bought their air conditioning unit on credit. And then mm-hmm. I took over their house and the air conditioning unit all subject to, 
So I have a payment to the house and I have a payment to the air conditioning unit subject to. Right. You can take air conditioning units, IRS liens, child support liens. Um, I have a county, a, a property in Dallas, Texas. I'm taking over a, a, a county lien, like mm-hmm. a, a little like issue they have. I've taken over HOA liens. I don't currently have any HOA liens, but you can take over any type of lien subject to. Are you getting those as an exception on the title commitment? Yep, 100%. Got it. Um, Daniel Kihana wants to know, when are you taking your shirt off? Um, I was naked most of the morning. Um, I actually walked my, in here naked. Look at my Instagram. I um, walk around naked. So uh, 180 Cash Buyers, our team wants to learn from you. Pace, there you go. So sub2.com, is that where they go? DM me on Instagram, um, or he, honestly, I built a community for a reason. I really want people to work with my students. Um, I buy very specific deals. I'm at a point right now where I don't really want to do deals with anybody that's not a, not a student. I have enough students mm-hmm. that we've accomplished building the greatest community on planet Earth. Go work with my students. They're the shit. Yep. You don't need to join sub two. Don't don't join sub two. Go hang out with my students. Um, rank Mula on YouTube. Yeah. I presume you're buying these properties in a land trust. Hell no. Don't buy anything in a land trust. The, a land trust is a, is a common misconception in real estate that people believe that buying something through a land trust mm-hmm. will help you avoid the due on sale clause. And it's not correct, right? People, like, they argue the Garn St. Germain Mac and all this kind of stuff. There's a, you know, a, a camp of people that believe land trusts are great, and there's a camp of people that don't really care for them. Mm-hmm. The people that believe land trusts are great also sell land trusts, Okay. This is a business, guys. People are like, use a land trust because they own land trust companies, okay? Land trusts are beneficial, but they should not be meant, or they should not be utilized if you're just trying to avoid the deal. Yeah, don't be clause. deceitful. Yeah, don't be deceitful. And here's the other th- reason why I never got into land trust. Steve's trying to get out of here, by the way, guys. If, if you guys I am want- not trying to get out of here. Oh, you're not? Okay. No. Perfect. We got three more hours, guys. Just kidding. No, so, we got 29 more hours. In Arizona... If I buy a property in a land trust, Arizona will not issue me title insurance without naming the beneficiary of a land trust. And so here people are using land trust because they want to shroud or hide who the actual owner is, but I want title insurance. Mm-hmm. And so in state of Arizona, when I was buying my first deals, I would go to my um, escrow officer and say, I would like to buy this in a land trust. She's like, why? I'm like, because that's what people tell me that I should do. That's what the experts say. That's what the experts say. She's like, let me guess. Are they the ones selling you the land trust? I go, shit. Uh, yeah. So yeah, and I learned, especially in Arizona, because we can't get title insurance when you buy through a land trust, that I just always bought through an LLC. And um, then I just did it nationwide. And I just through practice, I was like, oh, land trusts are not really meant for buying. Um, they're meant for buying real estate, but they're meant for a different purpose than hiding due on sale costs. Yeah, for estates. Yeah. Um, Warren Adcock wants to know, uh, he's a student yeah. of yours and he's trying to stop foreclosure. Is he still able to talk to your transaction coordinator? So here's the thing. This is why sub two is so strong. We have 21 support calls a week, 21, I, not, not one, not two, 21. And one of the support calls we have every single week is transaction coordination on Saturday mornings. We teach our students, wives or students that, you know, it's funny thing, guys, if you're, if you're in real estate I'm going to tell you right now, real estate might not be resonating with you because all you're hearing is cold call and text and bandit signs and doing all that kind of stuff. There's personality types that you should never cold call. And I'm one of the few people that will tell you this. You should never text and have to negotiate 
some people are actually meant better to be transaction coordinators. Mm -hmm. So we train our, a lot of students, male students will come in and go, I want to get my wife involved in the business, but I don't know what to have her do. I go, we'll, we'll train her every Saturday for two hours every day, every Saturday on how to be a transaction coordinator. Last week, my wife, who's the greatest transaction coordinator in my opinion, um, came in and taught my students how to stop and extend a foreclosure on a live deal. So if you are a student of mine and you're not coming into my support call on Saturday where my wife teaches people how to be transaction coordinators, Caleb Christopher, who is one of my leaders, is teaching people how to be transaction coordinators, stop foreclosures on real deals, then you're not leveraging um, this absolute amazing bonus stuff that I do every week for you guys. G-Swag, can you create a finance, a probate house? Yeah. Here's a better question. What can you not create a finance? Literally, the answer is nothing. Um, you will hear me talk about like reverse mortgages where people will come and go, Pace, can I sub to a reverse mortgage? The answer is absolutely yes. But the challenge with a reverse mortgage is that a reverse mortgage, they are um, originated and um, issued to the borrower for the sole intention of taking that property back, right? Reverse mortgage companies are unlike regular mortgage companies that they actually want that property. Their profit is when that person passes away and they're no longer there. So in a reverse mortgage, as long as the seller is still alive, I will take a property over subject to. But if somebody, you know, their parents just passed away and they come to me, they go, hey, I just inherited my parents' house through probate. I don't know what to do with it. I go, I'd like to buy it subject to. And they go, okay, well, it's a reverse mortgage. Is that a problem? I go, yeah, I don't want it. Because they're already passed away. So mm -hmm. the reverse mortgage company is going to come in and go, we demand ownership of that property. We want our money. All right. Uh, here's a question, uh, from YouTube, Majdi. Uh, Maj is great out of Colorado, handsome guy, long hair. As a newbie, would you, re would you recommend purchasing a property via a lease per uh, lease option and Airbnb being it cash flow as long as possible before exercising the option to purchase the property? Great question. So, um, here, here's what I advise. I don't like lease options when you acquire, mm -hmm. because what does that, what does that mean? It means that you're not the owner of that property. However, I also will argue on the other side of that is like, who gives a crap? If you're making cash flow and you have, you're active in real estate, then that's better than saying, don't buy it on a lease option. A lease option, you're not the owner. And if you decide to execute your option on that contract, you have to go out and obtain financing. And if you don't have the ability to obtain financing and you're sitting here spending money on furniture and getting things, this thing all decked out, you're going to put yourself in a shitty situation. Yeah. So I tell people that, look, People that do Airbnb arbitrage and acquire and lease options in about their second year, they come into my group and they go, I should have never done Airbnb arbitrage and I should have never done lease options because now all the people I've, I bought these from or I've done deals with, they all want to sell them and I have no ownership in any of these properties. Yeah. The purpose of real estate guys is not just the cash flow. Cash, people get so drunk with the thought of cash flow. We have, we make hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash flow. It's great. But People are so enamored with the thought of it because they want to quit their job that they hate. That's the number one thing. Outside of cash flow, the real reason you want to buy property is to compound wealth. Right. Create wealth for yourself. How did I go from zero to $150 million in assets? And my net worth is stupid. It's stupid. Like if you really thought about, you looked at what our real estate has done in just a matter of like 36 to 48 months of like really being serious about acquiring properties, it's like, 
that's where real wealth is built is your tenants. Mm-hmm. I do, people go, what do you think? What do you think real estate is? I go, it's called crowdsourcing your retirement. Everybody else is paying for me to retire except for myself. And that's my tenants, my Airbnb clients. That's, you know, my sober living houses, all that kind of stuff. They're paying for my retirement, not me. Uh, so a specific example here from Eller and Perez on YouTube. How do you structure a deal if the purchase price is 240 they owe 40 and they're okay with you taking over the mortgage? It's called a hybrid. So you, it's the same way I bought my house. Go on YouTube and say, Pace Morby House. I bought my property for $3 million. Um, $1.2 million of it is what the seller owed. So he had $1.8 million in equity. And I took that thing over creative finance. $1.2 million of it is subject to. So I took over the existing mortgage. I created a second mortgage for a million. So that's only 2.2. Mm-hmm. And then I created a consulting agreement for the remaining balance because I, it's a, go watch the video. It's the most creative shit you'll ever see. Um, but it's called a hybrid part sub two part seller finance. We do it all the time. So a uh, question on YouTube, Michelle, what strategy would you offer a seller who wants at least a hundred thousand more than Zillow? Uh-huh. And, um, and the seller needs cash flow. Sellers retire has minimum, minimum income. I guess the, I guess the question is, would you ever pay where is a yeah. hundred thousand over Zillow? Yeah. I have a property. Um, I have a property on Maddox. Let me pull up the address so you guys can all go and pull it up. You guys can see it. Well, I guess in this instance here, so she, they want 100K over Zillow and all the yeah. comps on Zillow are 100K less. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 fine. I, you uh, would buy a house 200,000 upside down? Yeah. Depends, right? Depends on what I get. I get. Um, the property is 75 Maddox Drive in Atlanta, Georgia. You guys can go look, look that up. 75 Maddox Drive. So um, 75 Maddox Drive in Atlanta. It's right in Ansley Park. Um, seller, I bought the house from them for 1.1 million and the value of the property at the time was 960 and properties in the neighborhood were actually selling for like maybe 870 to 900. So I paid a couple hundred thousand dollars over retail, but did I really pay $200,000 over retail? No, I structured terms mm-hmm. that over a year, two years, three years, that 200,000 I overpaid would be overshadowed by my cash flow and the appreciation, the depreciation, the mortgage pay down, et cetera. So how did I get into that deal? I gave the seller a small enough down payment that I turned around and I net cash flow on that property, $8,000 a month. Yeah. But I think in your instance here, there were some other extenuating circumstances where it made sense. Right. Right. So I think- so the, the question is, here's a great way to look at anything. Steve, would you jump out of an airplane with no parachute if I gave you $100,000? It was on the ground. Don't don't get to the punchline too fast. Sorry. Would you jump out? And most people, their answer is like, hell no, I would never jump out of an airplane. Okay, great. Would you buy a $100,000 house for a million dollars? It had to be some extenuating circumstances right, to justify it. Right, it had to be some crazy term. So what if I told you that I would sell this $100,000 house to you for a million dollars, but all you have to do is pay me a dollar a month for the next million months? Yeah. Would you now buy it? Yes. Right. So the again, the purchase price, the value of the property is not the purchase price. The value right. of the property is what I can do with it. So the better question to ask yourself is what could I do with this property? What is my income on this property? And then how do I go to the seller and say, how do I pay you less than what I'm bringing in? And that is how you structure a deal. What Start with what you can bring in. The value of anything is based on what you can do with it, not the purchase price. Um, so 
Another question on YouTube from AO. If you're buying sub two, are you able to use your end buyer's down payment as down payment to the original seller? Always, yeah. All the time. But when you, same thing with when you're wholesaling, right? If you're wholesaling a contract in a cash world, a lot of broke-ass wholesalers, which, you know, a lot of their, I was a broke-ass wholesaler too. Just call it what it is. A lot of times you're like, I don't have the earnest money. Okay, well, you use your end buyer's earnest money. It's the same thing in creative finance. You can use your end buyer's earnest money. You can use your end buyer's down payment. You don't have to be the, you literally can do all of this without any money in your pocket. I think some of it has, uh, is subject to state. You don't think so? No. Um, I'm just thinking as far as I've like, never ran into that. Uh, and yeah. I could be completely wrong about this, right? Uh, I'm just thinking as far as the context, like there are certain states where you can never use the, the buyer's uh, funds to purchase. Okay, but you could structure it differently where you do a JV agreement with your buyer and you and yeah. your buyer end up are buying the property together and the buyer then issues the earnest money a different way. There's always a way around it. Yeah. Uh, Mauricio uh, wants to know, on a subject deal, how do you answer a seller when they say that the mortgage will still show up as debt on my credit? I don't, I don't have to ask this. I don't have to answer the seller anything because I tell them that right up front. Mm -hmm. I, I tell the seller that faster than they could ever ask me that. I go, okay, if we buy this property, we're going to buy it where I take over the existing payments and the mortgage stays in your name. Yep. And I tell them that right out of the gate. I don't hide anything. Like the first thing that I say, if you ever watch my... Go watch, I just posted two days ago, a foreclosure with a seller that I just closed on. It's an FHA loan. This is super tricky. This is some shit that most people don't do. It's an FHA loan. I self-performed the paperwork, which means we did not use a title and escrow business, even though I'm sad that we didn't use title insurance because I would have made some money there. But um, FHA loan, subject to sellers in foreclosure, and um, I actually have the full conversation on my, my YouTube channel. And you will hear me tell the seller, we are going to stop your foreclosure and here's how we're going to do it. We're going to keep your mortgage in place so that when I make payments on that mortgage, it still benefits you long-term so that you can turn around and buy another house faster because we're going to improve your credit by having a mortgage in good standing. Go watch the seller call. It's great. Uh, Zorum Realty Group on Instagram. Yeah. What percentage of the time do the banks call back the loans when seller transfer owner, transfers ownership? Okay, so I've had the do on sale clause happen to me five times. Uh, five? Yeah. Oh. Three of them are students of mine. Two of them are mine. Got it. Um, but I've, I've been involved in five of them. Um, I would say that it's probably one in, I don't know, two to 3,000 transactions you'll mm -hmm. get a do on sale clause happen. It always comes down to a couple things. It is you did the paperwork wrong because you're dumb. Um, two, you... Uh, transferred insurance incorrectly, or three, you reinstated the mortgage too fast in a foreclosure situation and closed the same day. So the mortgage, the mortgage company ends up seeing that. There you go. I know I'm going, I'm going really fast on this guys. Normally I would just, I would deep dive on that one topic for an hour, but yeah. we don't have that much time. Um, so BMAC on YouTube, how much is your sub two mentorship? It's sold out. Don't join it. Uh, Laura Rios, how will this affect mortgage companies? I think that's an interesting question. Oh, what do you mean? Yeah. That's, that's a great question. I, what, how will this affect mortgage companies? Here's how a mortgage company makes money. Let's remind ourselves how mortgage companies make money. They're not in the real estate game. Mortgage companies are not in, more in, in the real estate game. They're in the lending money game, right? And what do they want more than anything? They want to make mo money when they issue a mortgage to you. So they call it origination points, right? They make money right there. And then most mortgage companies take that mortgage that they created for you and they sell it to somebody else for an additional fee. So they really, they're, they don't care. The people who originated the, the loan don't give a crap. 
Now, the person who bought that loan, they're in the business of receiving payments. They're not in the business of owning real estate. They're in the business of owning uh, or collecting payments. So the only way this affects them is me paying their payments, make sure that their business operates properly. Yeah. And I think that the fear that people have with, you know, do on sell clause and everything else don't understand how expensive it is for a bank to foreclose on someone. Yeah. And the fact that it's not even their business model. Right. right. And if you guys go on, go to my YouTube channel, type in Pace Morby do on sale. I should have four, maybe five videos. I've actually called banks just to prove to people. I'm, I'm going to do it next week on a live where I'm in the process of currently refinancing out one of my subject two deals because mm. um, we have so much equity in the deal. We're going to refinance it. And what I'm going to do on a live is call the bank and actually try and get the do on sale clause called on myself. And I'll show you guys how silly the do on sale clause actually is. Well, and I think that's a fantastic video, uh, but going back to uh, my experience when I was listing foreclosure properties, like mm. the banks in order to foreclose on a person has to hire an attorney, right? Has to deal with all the legal paperwork, has to hire a, a servicer, someone out there, evict you, pay you to move out with cash for keys, hire someone to rekey the property, hire someone to maintain the property, and then pay a listing agent to sell the property. Like to foreclose on someone is not like, hey, Pace, I'm going to foreclose on you. It's a thirty to sixty thousand dollar commitment on my end, right, to foreclose on you, right. Right. So I think that, and it looks really bad on their books too. And that's the thing a lot of people don't understand is when you get into, I used to be a loan officer. So I understood like a negative mark on a loan that you issued mm -hmm. is not a good look for your bank. Right. Well, on top of that, if I take this property back, let's say $200,000, I can no longer lend that $200,000 times nine. Right. So right. I, I, this 1 million plus I cannot lend on right now. Right. So I think that the, the do on sell clause may be a little overfeared. Uh, D banks, how can I bring value to base? Um, okay. So here's what I'm doing in my world um, right now is I've paid off all, all my private lenders that I have on my, my, I have hundreds of single family properties that we own all creative finance. I don't, I don't think we own many, I'd say we probably own 30 properties that are, we're done with the Burr strategy. So we have traditional financing on them. 30. Maybe. I'm surprised you made it past two. Well, yeah, I know, dude. I hate I hate the burst strategy. I, I, I love I love the burst strategy, but what I don't like about the burst strategy is how I have to get three loans to do the same deal. The interest rates are it's volatile. Burr lenders are full of crap most of the time. You love the idea, you just don't love the reality. I don't love the reality like of going through it. And it's like when you do a sub two or seller finance deal and you realize it takes seven minutes to do a deal and a burr strategy takes six months. It's like people are like Hey, I'm doing the burst strategy, but how do I scale? I'm like, stop doing the burst strategy. It's really hard to scale in that model. It takes up a lot of cash, credit, credential, all that stuff. Anyway, um, what was the question specifically? Um, oh, oh, how do I bring value? So I paid off all my private money lenders on all my sub two and seller finance deals on all my single family houses. I have no private money lender. I don't have one private money lender right now on any of my uh, on any of my stuff. What I'm doing now is I'm going and buying apartment complexes with creative finance. And I'm raising capital for those with non-accredited investors. I'm giving everybody an opportunity to spend, give, put $1,000 in and own a part of an apartment complex that I bought with seller finance. And what I'm doing is teaching people how that process works. So I, we don't need your money. We can raise money, but I want to change the game. Like we want to teach people how to do this. And the best way to teach anybody to do stuff is actually do it with them and hold, hold their hand through the process. Um. Daniel Nissim on YouTube, uh, if you were 24 years old again with wholesaling as your business, what would you do differently? 
Um, if wholesaling is my business at 24 years old, I would learn how to look at every lead before you throw it away. Because the way I looked at wholesale when I was a home investor is I would say that 85 to 90% of my leads were trash right out of the gate. And then I had to fight for the other 8% and I would really only close about 1% of my leads, right? Something like that, maybe two, 3% of my leads. I would start adding questions and pivoting conversations um, towards creative finance immediately. Start right now because creative finance has dominated in my world. It's do- like I, I've made way more money in creative finance in an up market than I ever did with wholesaler fixing and flipping way more money. And now with a, a down market and sellers changing their mindset of like, oh my gosh, I will make even way more money. If you are not utilizing creative finance right now, you are going to miss or you are already starting to miss the biggest tidal wave shift towards creative finance for the next 36 to 60 months. So I would start adding questions of, okay, seller, if you want that much money, would you be willing to give us terms for that if we were willing to give you that price? Start asking better questions. Go on my YouTube channel and learn those questions. Uh, Mike Anderson, how do you feel about multifamily right now versus single family? Here's the, here's the truth about multifamily people don't really understand. Guys, multifamily, it is, it's like this thing that enchants people. They get so enamored with multifamily because it seems so cool. Guys, we own a lot of multifamily. We just closed on a 408-unit deal in Charlotte, North Carolina, $109 million purchase. Um, we are buying probably another four to 500 doors before the, the end of the year just through multifamily, all creative finance. But why am I buying multifamily? Because multifamily makes very little money for your first year, your second year, and your third year. Very yeah. little money. In fact, you're breaking even most of the time. The reason why multifamily is a great play is because of the tax benefits and because of the compounding growth after the third year of ownership. So people are basically planting seeds. Multifamily is I'm planting a seed and it's going to be the biggest damn orange tree you've ever seen in about three years. Okay. Wholesaling is like I get money today. So that's why a lot of people will wholesale multifamily rather than go invest in it. Um, Airbnbs, like buying sub two and seller finance and turning those into Airbnbs. Does my daughter need to go pee, by the way? She's good? Okay, perfect. So um, will you bring her in here and put her right here for a little bit? Um, so with Airbnb, with um, like wholesaling and doing Airbnb, I've, I can get money in 60, 90 days, and mm-hmm. I can get out of my job. If I go invest in multifamily and I start bu- buying multifamily, guys, you ain't getting shit from that property for three years. You know, I tried to explain this in the, our debate show on pardon the disruption. Yeah. Got blasted for that. That, that, I wish I wish I had you on my uh, next to me. Hey, guys, I own multifamily. It's it, it's two different it's two different plays here. It's like one. Pro- hey, come sit right here, baby. Okay, Sh- just relax. Okay, my this girl is a firecracker. So you got you got to you got to let just relax. Okay, hold your arms and be chill. So um, d- you are making an argument against multifamily, or that it just is a longer play. It's you don't buy multifamily for cash flow. You buy it for the tax depreciation and the stabilization to appreciate more, so you can do cash out refis. Right, you cash out refis and also bigger exits to a REIT. Right, right. A REIT, REITs are so willing to buy these properties. And you're the other thing is like big, massive companies that have a lot of money are competing with you in multifamily. You want to get into multifamily and you're brand new. Good luck. <laughs> really, the only way to get into multifamily if you're brand new is to raise capital for other people's projects, which is a great talent and a, a great thing to, to learn. But if you're trying to get into multifamily right out of the gate, you don't have today money, and it really hurts. 
Yeah. I, I see a lot of people go buy 20 units, 30 units, 50 units, and they're like, hey, so I'm not making any money. I'm like, yeah, because you should have. Well, Grant Cardone says don't start with single family. If he could start all over, he would start with multifamily. Okay, but let's turn back the clock. How did Grant Cardone start? Yeah. Single family. He built momentum. He got cash. He, he got experience. Multifamily alone, just they have different terminologies, different brokers. The ter- brokers are smart. Yeah. They're not sellers that are in pain. These brokers will grill your ass. Most people don't even know what an LOI is. Um, we still have a bunch more questions here. But oh, let's I'm gonna, crank. I'm let's gonna, go. I'm going to ask you Give a selfish. Give me 15 more minutes. I'm going to ask you a selfish question here. Yeah. So I enjoy Chris and I, we used to, me, you, and Chris, we used to run together. Yeah. yeah. Right? It was great because you were, you know, no pun intended, setting the pace. Yeah, yeah. Right? You were leading us, and you were just talking the whole time. It was great, right? We got, it was like a running audio book, yeah, right? Yeah. It was fantastic. Uh, for you, what was the value for you for running in the mornings with us at Discovery Park? I can tell you that Steve Trang has been one of these people in my life that you show me what's possible. There's multiple things you've shown me what's possible, and you've been a beacon in my life of like, oh, we shouldn't just be wholesaling. We should be owning title companies. Yeah. Oh, we should actually go create banks. Oh, you have a brokerage? Bro, just being in proximity to you has made me millions of dollars. And I'm so grateful for you. This is, again, my favorite place to be. Being around you, I get energized. Even though you and I have different demeanors, bro, mm-hmm. you, you're so phenomenal. So being around you and hearing what's possible and hearing what you were working on, in a way, gave me permission to do it myself. Yeah, appreciate that. Uh, so, Peggy, on YouTube, yeah. what is the kind of insurance you would buy for the do-on-sale clause? I think that's kind of a loaded question there. I, I wouldn't buy insurance for a do-on-sale clause. Um, it does exist. There's a company out there called Equity Assurance. I would never buy assurance or insurance for the do and sell clause. I would never do it. All right. Um, something's changed recently? No, it's, it's it, sorry. I would never do it now. It's because I know how to overcome the do and sell clause without that. And it's super simple. And I've been through the stuff. And the do and sell clause, number one, is like the boogeyman. It almost doesn't exist. does exist. It does happen. I've had the do and sell clause called on me. But I've also overcome every single one of them. Mm-hmm. And I know what the process is. And it's super simple. Yeah. And again, right? Like... He's actively trying to have a do-also clause call yeah. on him. And I am coming from the foreclosure world. I can tell you how expensive it is to foreclose on yeah, somebody. Yeah, they don't want to do it. Uh, so can you refinance the subject to if a, prop, if a buyer, tenant buyer is living there? Of course. Um, the, thing, the thing that's really interesting about this, so I'll tell you another analogy that I have never told on your show. This is a really great analogy. So Steve, do you use a, a credit card to buy groceries? Of course. Not a debit card, a credit card. Yes. Okay, perfect. So you go to the grocery store, you have your American Express, you have, let's say, $200 in groceries, and you use your credit card. Perfect. They transfer the ownership of those groceries from the grocery store Mm -hmm. to you through the cashier. That's called the escrow officer. That's the escrow (laughs) officer of the grocery store. Okay. So they're transferring the ownership, but how do they give you ownership of that groceries, of those groceries? The receipt. Yeah. So the receipt in in real estate is called the deed. Right. Okay. Hold on a second. But American Express, they use their money for Mm -hmm. those groceries. So who's technically the owner of those groceries? Well, you on terms or finance. There you go. So I actually just saw one of the biggest influencers of wholesale made a post on his Instagram the other day saying, I would rather buy things with cash because when you owe money to the bank, you're a slave to the bank. 
And I was like, that is so polar opposite of what any billionaire actually does. The bank is my slave. Mm -hmm. I am not the bank's slave. I'm using the bank's money and letting somebody else pay it off. So you own those groceries through the receipt, just like you own the property through the deed. Someone made that claim. That yeah, the, you, you're you, a slave to I'll the bank. I'll tell you who it is right after. It's on their Instagram right now, and it's like you are so intense. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting perspective. I think debt used the wrong way. You are a slave. Yeah, that is definitely I mean, if you're not. Dave, if you're Dave Ramsey, and 25 years ago you tried you tried to fix and flip houses for, um, for a short duration, and you went and got adjustable rate mortgages like a dumbass, and you got burned through that. Then I can see how you could see yeah. how debt is a, a scary thing. I say underinformed, but pretty much the same. Underinformed. Thing. I'm sorry. That's a very intense <laughs> way of saying his dumbass. I think Dave Ram. 99% of what Dave Ramsey says is amazing, and mm. I think that he's is probably one of the smartest people on the planet. But what I don't like about what he talks about is he doesn't tell the full truth. Well, he doesn't speak. He speaks in absolutes. And he's, yes. And uh, there, there's a lot of nuance that does not. All those nuance is us. Everyone right. is listening to the show. The 500 people right now. We're the nuance, right? Right. For well, he he gave some advice on um, his show about four months ago that said somebody calls into a show and goes, "Hey, I'm trying to fix and flip a property, and I'm thinking about going and borrowing some money from a friend of mine to go fix and flip this property." Dave Ramsey's advice was, "No, no, 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 no! Don't ever do that. What you need to do is go get a side hustle and go build up your own cash to then go fix and flip a property." I'm like, do you know how long a, a side hustle would take? To go and fix it, like to get enough to raise a hundred grand, two hundred grand. Yeah, that's... I don't know about you, but when I die, one day of my life is worth a hundred million dollars. I'm not going to go spend twenty years to save up enough cash to do my first fix and flip. That's so uninformed. So Aaron Leitz, thank you for the the, the donation. So he just uh, donated seventy bucks on one of my YouTube lives the other day. Thank you, Aaron. It means a lot. What do you think about targeting expired listings right now for creative finance? I love, I love it. If I'm going to go after creative finance deals, I'm going after expired listings. I'm going after foreclosure. If I want seller finance deals, I want um, high equity or people have their houses paid off. Those are the four I would go after right now. If I want to target creative finance, except I don't target creative finance, right? I take the same leads that all these knucklehead wholesalers are going out there and just trying to get a wholesale deal. And I get wholesale deals out of them. We get fix and flips out of them. And then we also double our conversion rate by buying creative finance deals out of the same set of leads you guys are getting. What is the best way to go about that? I'm guessing he's asking about the channel or the marketing. Um, MLS. So what I would do is I would um, go on the MLS or get Aaron, you're here in Arizona. Text me and I'll, I'll have my wife pull an expired listing list from what, what would you get that monsoon or MLS? Expired listings? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, when we were going really hard, it was uh, Red X, I think. Okay, cool. So Red X, go somewhere, get the expired listings. My wife says she can pull red, uh, expired listings on the MLS. And um, I would personally, if I have no money, I would call those sellers myself and I would say, this is my line that I say to expired listings. I would say, hey, I saw that your house um, was listed for sale and it's no longer listed through an agent. What were you looking for on the market that you didn't receive? Yeah. And then let them talk, and they'll tell you what the heck happened. So Darius is asking, what time are we, uh, where is the parking, what time do you guys run? So Pace has, uh, was it Turf Toe from golfing too much? I still have that problem, dude. Yeah. yeah. So Pace has Turf Toe, so he's not doing that anymore. And I play basketball now, so I, I hated running. Like, the only reason why I went to go run was, A, my doctor said I was fat, and B, I got to hang out with you. Right. Yeah, it was good. It was a good excuse for you and I spent a lot of time. Yeah, that running. was the only reason why we were running together. I still absolutely hate running, so now I play basketball. Um, I'm I'm an honorary Mormon, right? I get to play with Brad Morrison and Xavier. Those guys are probably really, really good. 
Um, all right. So if you're Mormon and you can't ball, are you really Mormon? <laughs> I would argue that you're not. Um, what is the zero to hero program? How does it differ from sub two? Okay. So zero to hero is, um, my answer to when people say, how do I get started in real estate? I, we created this challenge. Um, by the way, my, my daughter learned how to do wet willies. And so every minute when you're not looking, look what she does. She licks her finger and she then wants to put her finger in my ear all the time. <laughs> just, re just relax, baby. So the zero to hero program was us saying, why don't we put ourselves in a situation where we have to start literally from zero? Thank you. I, lo I love you. Thank you. And so last year, um, we had our audience in our Facebook group choose North Carolina. We had them randomized like where we cho we started. And we virtually started a brand new business, LLC, website, like call got BAs, all that kind of stuff. And said, in 14 days, how much money could we make starting zero and trying to go to hero? And so we documented that. We put that into um, a digital program. And my partner's uh, my partner, Cody, sells that. It's not my mentorship. It's just a digital product that teaches people how to get started at a very low price. Um, Victor Verdana, uh, if you have a house up to... On, on that, just real quick. What I'm doing with Zero to Hero now is I am now moving my family in um, October to Tacoma, Washington for 30 days. And I found somebody who has spent $200,000 in mentorship programs and has never done a deal. And I'm moving to their town and I'm starting from scratch with them as their partner, kind of like undercover billionaire. And that will also be called Zero to Hero, where I'll live stream that every single day for eight, eight hours every day and give that away to people for free, just showing people how to actually do it. <laughs> um, when, so people, when people say, how do you balance work, work life? This is how you balance work in, in your personal life. Uh, Victor Vidania, uh, if you have a house up to an, and the owner decides they want to call the loan, what do you do? If a seller decides they want to call the loan? Or the, the person that sold you the house up to decides, hey, I want all my money now. After they've already sold it to you? Yep. I have, I'll show you. I have an email right now from a guy I bought it from four years ago. Go that is sending me an e uh, He sent me an email. He goes, when are you going to pay this off? I go, I'm not. We have an agreement. He's not the owner. This is something you need to understand. That seller is not the owner. I have the deed. I am the owner. I own it. The appreciation, the growth, the, the tax depreciation, the cash flow is 100% mine. That seller has zero rights over that property, even if I use their American Express to buy those groceries. Uh, Mike Anderson, $20, $20 donation. Thank you. And um, Geraldo Pabon, $10 donation. Thank you. Um, he says he'll outrun all of us. I mean, that's, he, he can definitely outrun me. I, I don't know about your conditioning. Yeah, I think he could probably outrun me. Yeah. All right. So uh, last question here is from Jamil. Oh, my gosh. My best friend. What? Hey, say hi to Jamil. She's watching, by the way, his Instagram post this morning mm -hmm. was one of the funniest things ever. I'm watching it, and she goes, oh, my gosh, Jamil is so funny. Did you see Jamil's post this morning? Mm -hmm. Say hi to Jamil. Hi, Jamil. <laughs> So, dude, Jamil, shout out my, my best friend. Um, the number one collaborator I've ever had in my life is Jamil. On the TV show together, travel around the world together. Um, he is so genius in the way he thinks. The, the troll, did you see the troll ad he just made? Not the troll ad, no. I personally think it's better than his Blue Genie ad. It's, really? Oh, it's so good. All right. Uh, he owes me a call. He no-showed me last when? Sunday. We have our monthly accountability call. Where no was he last me. Sunday? Well, I know where he was. He, he was, was in Canada picking yeah, up his daughter. I, yeah, I, I'm not not disagreeing with that. I'm just saying a little notice would have been oh, nice. Oh yeah, yeah. That, yeah. Uh, so, uh, 
question uh, from Jamil for you yeah. is when are you going to pick up your mom from his house? <laughs> uh, there was a so on our TV show Triple Digit Flip. We're on A and E, guys. If you guys actually go want to go watch that, but um, I don't know how it started, but the the mom jokes started rolling out. We have about thirty people that run the TV show with us, and um, I, the mom joke started, and I couldn't stop. And now it's like it's overload mom jokes on TV set all day long. Hence, you're gonna fly your plane to visit someone's mom. Basically, yeah. Um. <laughs> I know it's the last question, okay? But I, I want, I want to. Last question from the audience. There's still some more stuff here. Oh, there is. Okay, perfect. Then I won't. Then I won't jump into my thing. Uh, so maybe this will answer it. Maybe not. I mean, the floor is yours, right? So uh, I want you guys. I want you to leave the listeners with a message or two, right? Uh, guys, if you got value today, please like, subscribe, share, comment, get this out to as many people as possible because we really do want to create. Millionaires. We do have our all-day sales training in our office. Space got to walk around our office a little bit. Phenomenal. Was it? I mean, was it helpful walking around our office? Yeah, it's, it's super helpful. Um, I love your guys' environment. I, I'm a person. I'm a monkey see, monkey do type of person. Like, mm-hmm. if I'm going to try and learn something, I want to be around a community or people that are doing it. And your guys' space is unbelievable. By the way, my first mastermind I ever did was ran in this office. And dude, like your guys' space is like bar none better than anybody else. Appreciate that. Yeah. So we have our live event next month in our office. And part of coming out here for the training is you get to walk around my office and talk to my team, my oh, wholesale team. Bro, that's what you mean? Yeah. I came in here and Steve comes up to me and says, hi, and I haven't seen you in months. Yeah. And we say hi, I give you a hug, which is always uncomfortable for you. And then Very I immediately go in and start talking to your team. I spend an hour talking to your team. I yeah. probably got $100,000 of value just talking to your team. Yep. So... Thank you for that. And again, like if you guys come out next month, you get to walk around my office, talk to my wholesale team, our traditional team, our media team, all of it. So uh, if you guys are interested, go to disruptors.com slash sales disruptors. Thank you, Munif. Thank you, Gino. Munif dropped a hundred bucks. Munif, uh, shout out Munif. Okay. This is one thing that we've done really well in, in sub two. Munif is a leader in sub two. He has been since he joined. He also joined other mentorships. He, he actually spent $60,000 joining other mentorships and um, he had to go get a second position, like a, a line of credit on his home to go pay for these mentorships. Never did a deal. It wasn't that it wasn't in him. It was that he was lacking the campfire and some like a community to plug into that will actually help you. So one day he DMs me on Instagram and he goes, hey, um, thinking about joining sub two, you know, I really want to hone in on this very specific skill. And I go, well, we have this support call every morning that does that specific skill gets his first deal in like three days. The best deal that Munif has ever closed is that he found love Francis in my mentorship and they got married. Oh, my students are getting, getting married and having babies together, bro. (laughs) That's, that's how legit our community is. Shout out Munif. That's amazing. And, uh, I've said this to him before. Uh, he is the absolute best at mirroring I've ever seen. Yeah, he's very right? good. I'm, I mean, I'm going to say better than you. That's okay. Right? So uh, when he when he was on Closest Olympics, I mean, it was outstanding how great he is at mirroring. Uh, so, again, sell disruptors. Uh, and then we have part in the disruption. That's our debate show. We have it every Thursday. Where, um, where do they find that? How do they do that? Same channel right here, Real Estate Disruptors. Oh, that's dope. Okay. Yeah. So, last thoughts or two. Mm-hmm. That you like to leave everyone with? 
I know that I'm the sub two guy and it benefits me to say this, but I told you guys, don't join my mentorship. I'm not saying this to join my mentorship. I'm telling you that sub two seller finance, novation agreements, lease options, wraps, all of the creative strategies, they are 10 times more powerful than wholesale ever has been or ever will be. I don't personally know anybody that has retired from the wealth they built in wholesale or fixing and flipping. It always comes from holding properties. Now, wholesaling and fixing and flipping is one of the greatest gateways into real estate. It's easy to get into, and I love it, and it's how I got into real estate as well. But if you want to have true wealth, you've got to hold property. I hate to say that because there are people that are like, I'm afraid of holding property. Guys, retiring with a million dollars, $2 million, $3 million, ain't it. It ain't it. I'm telling you, when you get that kind of money, it ain't it. You will not retire with a million, $2 million, $3 million, et cetera. So, do yourself this number, okay? Do this math really quickly. In a perfect world in 30 years, how much money do I want to make every month net in my pocket? Okay, some people go 30 grand. Okay, great. So let's take into consideration that in 30 years, that will have to double because of inflation. So you have to actually have to make 60 grand a month to have the equivalent of today's 30,000. And then also if you're paying, if you're receiving $60,000 a month to have today's equivalent of $30,000, you have to always take into consideration you have to pay the taxes on that 60,000 as well. So is your number really 30 grand a month? No. You have to be to a point where your income in 30 years if you want to retire at that level is like 75 to $100,000 a month in income. Don't play small. Think bigger. I can tell you the biggest regret I have in my life is every time I learn something new and I look back on the previous version of myself, my biggest regret is I was thinking too small. Yeah. And being around people like Steve Trang, no joke, in my lifetime, people like you, Jamil Damji, um, all the other people that we hang out with, Brent Daniels, I can tell you that in my lifetime, you and the people I surround myself with, I will probably add two to $300 million to my net worth because of you and, and those people. So get around the right people, squad up, um, and stop playing small. Stop thinking small. There it is. So if someone wants to get a hold of you, they can't, they can't. I, okay. Here's here. You want to get a hold of me? Go to Steve Trang's first real estate disruptors episode where I give my cell phone away. There but you go. When you text me, text me your freaking name. Cause the number one thing I get from people and I send screenshots to Steve all the time. He does. Is people go, is this pace? I'm like, no, this is your mother. And I remind, may I remind you that I taught you how to be more polite when talking to strangers. Please introduce yourself, sweetheart. Love your mom. That's, I literally have that copy and pasted <laughs> and I copy and paste that once to two times a day. So guys, when you text me, please text me and say, Hey, my name is Josh. I live in this area. I need help with such and such. And I'm going to tell you, I'm probably not going to help you. My YouTube channel, we spent a lot of time on it. My Facebook group, I spent a lot of time on it. And more importantly, I spend 30 hours usually a week serving my community, my sub two community. Let my sub two community help you. You don't need my help. You need my sub two students' help. Your YouTube channel. Yeah, it's how the do, shit. How do they find that? YouTube.com forward slash pace morby. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you. Bro. This is a blast. You're the best. Thank you all for watching. Train. See y'all next week. Jump on the steam we went train. Train. We real estate disruptors.